GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got one of our mentors, Helen Brichet, with us. And we're not sure what we're going to talk about today, Helen. We, we're not sure whether we're talking about personal effectiveness or personal efficiency. So I think the first question is, what's the difference between the two? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kevin. Yes, this is the question, isn't it? Uh, so my view, my take on it is uh, when we're talking about efficiency, we're talking about doing things the right way. Uh, where we're talking about effectiveness, we're talking about doing the right thing. So efficiency would be about the how, yes. and effectiveness would be about the what. Yes. Um, I think that's a very good definition of the two, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can spend an awful lot of time in your day being busy, but not actually achieving anything, can't you? Yes, exactly. And, and as a leader, I think the distinction is of uh, well, paramount importance. So. Imagine the outcome of a war uh, and you're the leader there and you send your troops to the wrong battlefield. Who cares? They did so, uh, they did arrive in, in very little time. Hmm. Um, you would lose the battle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, my, my first question was actually to do with how do you personally go about managing your workload and man maintaining a to-do list? I suppose I should prefix that with a question about how do you decide what's going to become part of your workload and get as far as your to-do list in the first place? Yeah, so a number of, uh, of views there. The first one would be, um, well, what, what makes it uh, an important aspect of your role as a CFO? And the second question that I, that I hear in your in there uh, is um, how do you allocate your time as a CFO? Yeah. So if I if I start with the, the latter question, so how um, I want to be intentional about allocating my time, um, I'm always tempted to think it's good to have a strategic strategic focus, um, an operational focus, and a people focus, uh, and I'm thinking. In practice, um, I would say it's a third, a third, a third of, of what I've been able yeah. to do anyway. Yes. Um, now, what is missing in there is perhaps uh, looking after uh, yourself in that. So when you, when you look at everything that you have to do, do you allocate, allocate sufficient time to uh, maintaining uh, your energy levels, looking after your own emotions, uh, making sure that you continue developing, uh, learning. Um, and then I would add, be careful about not stretching yourself too thin. Think about adding a buffer uh, in your planning. I think those are, those are very valid points. And you can, in the CFO role, end up running after far too many things. There'll always be multiple projects that need your attention. 
there'll always be people looking for your advice and there'll always be the day-to-day -day stuff you've got to manage so you can end up with an awful lot on your plate um and i remember recording a podcast a while ago with catherine um talking about finding thinking time because how on earth do you contribute properly to strategy for instance if you don't give yourself the thinking space that you need so i think it's possibly to me is it is it a third a third a third the way you mentioned or is it actually a quarter a quarter a quarter a quarter to bring in the time for yourself your own space your own development that would be uh that would be ideal mm. um, i'm i'm tempted to think that uh, what goes into the long term and the um the strategic input that you have to uh, to make often ends up uh, at the end of the day uh, as a last minute as a as a weekend piece of work uh, or a, as a late night piece of work which it shouldn't um it exactly. as, you, yeah. as you rightly yeah. mentioned during the day there's there's a lot um and if you really um if you really want to um, look after people, if you really want to give them your time, uh, that will that will be an enormous part of your day. Yeah, yeah. So think, thinking about managing that to-do list during the day, how, how do you personally keep that under control? Um, I, to be honest, I don't even really realize how I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, I normally tend to go into a bit of uh, planning, by, planning by steps. So at the very first level, uh, looking at the overall year that, that's coming and then every quarter sitting down with the team to look at uh, the priorities for the quarter and then do that by month and then sit down with the uh, leadership team in finance to do that per week so we are constantly reassessing mm -hmm. uh, on a daily basis obviously as well I try to keep a bit of time at the end of my day to um, document what has progressed or what needs to change in my priorities for the coming days um, and I do and I adjust that day by day and during the day if I'm lucky I'm managing to write a few notes for myself that I will then have uh, to look at at night, or sometimes things go so fast that I don't even have time to do that. So the pause time at the end of the day enables me to, to take stock and to reassess and, and close the laptop or close the notebook. Um, and then in the morning coming afresh and looking at it again. It's an interesting one at the end of the day and my personal experience at the end of my day since lockdown doing a little working from home and so on is at the end of the day ends up getting very blurred if you work in an office working on a client site that tends to be a much more defined end of the day mm. the point that you're going to stop the point you're going to leave the office the point you're going to commute home um do you think that's changed as you've had to work remotely? Has it still been possible to be as, as disciplined around the end of the day and do what you're saying? About finishing by, by that task of looking at the priorities, yes. Now, the time 
<laughs> which I'm finishing that is absolutely not set in advance. Um, and that's, you really need to be, um, I would say strict with yourself. It takes time to adopt a new habit. And I remember when uh, we all went into lockdown, I don't think that anyone was really thinking that it was a risk that we would not be able to decide uh, that it was the end of the day and we needed to switch off. After a while, it, it became very apparent. And, you know, a lot of companies set a lot of uh, support for their employees as to how they would manage and how they would avoid burnout, for instance. That was one of the key tricks to learn to say no, even no to yourself. That's it. Have a little bit of discipline for yourself. Uh, be able to switch off. Be able to find ways of um, rebuilding the, the energy uh, at energy levels. And that takes time. That was not That's, an obvious one. Hmm. Saying no is very, very difficult because people will come to you all of the time with stuff that appears to be urgent, appears to need your attention straight away. And, and you physically either fit it in at times you shouldn't be doing it or struggle because you've just got far too much on your plate. So how do you end up coping with the, the need to say no to something that's apparently fairly important because you know there are other things around as well? Um, sometimes, I, sometimes I don't manage. Um, as mentioned, I always build a bit of buffer. I try to uh, not look at things as black or white or as inflexible. So sometimes some weeks I would have a commitment and that, that's the answer for me. That's it. That's my, that's my no, because I have a good reason. Uh, and sometimes I will, I will add a bit more working hours, uh, knowing it's not lost. It's just time that I will perhaps get back at another time. Um, I'm going to tell you something very personal. The, yeah. the stress in my, in my early career, uh, as I was a financial controller, didn't come from the amount of work. It came from having to leave at a quarter to six to pick up my son from nursery. Because that constraint was adding uh, a lot on my shoulders, whereas I, I'd rather be flexible and feel better after having put a number of hours, if need be, one day a week. Um, that's me. Uh, but the, the, my advice is really do not, um, do not let, let it become a habit. Discuss it with your team, your manager. Uh, agree on principles. And it, it could be the timing of the last uh, meeting, team meeting or individual meeting with your manager in the day. Uh, it could be the expectation that you pick up their emails uh, or their WhatsApp. Um, and and I, I like that uh, some people put in their signature, uh, I'm writing, I'm sending you that email in my own time, I'm working when it suits me, please feel free to answer my email when it suits you. Uh, I find that really um, constructive, yeah. it's, good, it's a good thing to do. The person on the other end of the email does not feel obliged to answer when uh, or as soon as you send them something to, uh, to look at. And uh, that, that, that can be a difficult one, can't it? You know, I think of my own experience just yesterday. 
um, I had a reasonably big list of things that I wanted to get done yesterday, but I found just about the entire day was knocked on off course by people asking things of me that I ended up being um, effectively on response rather mm. than on being proactive. Um, you know, Slack was on, lots of Slack messages coming through, emails arrive, yeah. phone call came in from our bookkeeper to, to solve the VAT problem. And finally, that the whole day seemed to have disappeared somewhere else. You know, what sort of things do you do to, to kind of keep on your own agenda rather than somebody else's? It depends on that, that other person, I have to say. Pragmatically, if the request comes from another board member, the CEO, um, your own boss, the yeah. boss of your boss, um, it is likely to take you, of course, more naturally. Yeah. Because well, I even I even have those messages pop up uh, in my in my emails in a different way. You know, they they uh, require my attention, and this is something that I'm I'm committing to answering quicker than than um, I would say normal messages. Um, having said that, uh, in in everything that uh, in everything that people send you or ask you to deliver, I think that you have a degree of uh, freedom to uh, inquire, get to understand a bit more, set your own mind in terms of, well, decide whether it really requires your attention now and negotiate. Mm. Uh, and even if it's the, the boss of your boss, uh, most of the time they will, they will have contacted you about something without providing you with a deadline. That was because they were, they were too busy when they sent you that message and uh, they didn't think it uh, or they didn't have time to put in the email that it was due in a week's time and not today. So it's always, always worth um, yeah. discussing, probing. It's, it's, it's all about setting expectations, really, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the person that's asking, setting an expectation of when they want a response and in turn you setting a, an expectation of when you're able to respond. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. In terms of actually delivering things, and there's, there's that very, very busy agenda, you need to deliver to, to a, a certain quality. How, how do you personally make sure that everything you're doing is delivered to a, a, a particular high quality, Helen? There's a very simple model I'm using all the time to try and manage expectations. And they could be, that could be very, very handy in, in many situations. Uh, the, that is the, the four dimensions of, a, of any, any piece of deliverable, actually. Yeah. Um, the dimensions are scope, quality, time, and resources. And so yeah. for a certain scope, um, you, you agree on delivering a certain quality, a certain quality in certain time and using a certain uh, level of resources. If um, any of those uh, evolves over time, then um, that changes what you can produce in terms of the other dimension. Yes. So initially, um, I would very much clarify expectations and, and make sure that the, the deliverable is defined on those four dimensions. Um, 
then I would allocate sufficient time for, uh, for the task, including a bit of planning if need be. And in particular, if, uh, if it involves other people, uh, you, you need to put in that effort to um, um, gather input from them, uh, seek their wisdom, or mobilize them when you are going to have to depend on other people contributing to, to a particular deliverable. Um, and then the review of the work before it's handed back and the preparation of uh, what will be said when you hand uh, the, the piece of work back to the stakeholder. All of this is part of providing high quality. Mm. So to, to what extent do you sort of self-review your own work? Uh, it's a good question. Um, it's not a very natural thing to do, but something that, and not something very comfortable sometimes either. Mm. Um, not easy in that you need to take a perspective of a different perspective. So you might have been very hands-on in delivering a piece of work. You now need to go up a level in order to be able to review it and, and add value in the review. So not doing the work again, but rather take a critical view uh, on, on what um, the result or, re or the recommendation looks like. Um, it's always good to sleep on things. Um, yes. Look at it Absolutely. the following day with fresh yeah. eyes. You know, people give that advice when when you are in a difficult situation or conversation and then you start writing an email and then you just say, okay, well, fair enough. I'm high on emotions tonight. Let's sleep mm -hmm. on it. Let's go back to it uh, and look at it with fresh eyes. To a certain extent, it's about the same with your, your own work. Uh, you can get into a certain mode or making a certain number of assumptions or take a, a certain approach when, when delivering a piece of work. Um, a good review will take a bit of distance from, from that approach. Mm -hmm. um, consider different perspectives take, take a, a high-level view, make a high-level check that the findings or, or the recommendations make sense and, and are not completely away from what you were expecting in the first place. And the key question is always, well, is, is it, does it look like the right ballpark um, of magnitude? Does it look yeah. right? Is there anything that uh, doesn't pass the smell test? I know myself that one of my five key strengths is achiever and achiever plays out to be bang go do it write the report and then the achiever in me says right bang press the send button what's next yes. and so you saying sleep on it that really resonates and i've got to admit personally i'm probably the world's worst reviewer particularly of my own material mm. I will read what I think is on the page, not what's actually on the page. And I can think of, particularly in the sort of consulting environments I've worked in, where a document that's going to a client would often get peer reviewed and so on. I can think of two or three people who, for some reason, just have a talent that I don't of being able to constructively re review a document. Mm -hmm. um, by which I don't mean they'll pick it up and they'll find the spelling mistakes and the punctuation errors. Um, they really do and say, well, Kevin, 
making this argument here. Well, what do you really mean by that? Are you sure that's right? Have you thought about? And they, they ask you that kind of fundamental question that really makes you go back and, and take note. And it's a real talent. And if you've got somebody that you can trust around you that can do that sort of thing, they are worth their weight in gold, in my view. It takes a lot of, of experience in the job to be able to do it effectively. Uh, it, well, in finance, take, take uh, a reviewer of a, of a budget or a forecast. Uh, in order to do it well, they will need to have uh, that good understanding of the business, mm -hmm. uh, that feasibility of, uh, of the plan, uh, the experience of how uh, perhaps previous forecasts and budget cycles have panned out, uh, the experience of how management will receive it and what the key questions could be and whether the, the, the document that you've prepared um, do well, offers enough uh, to, to meet their needs. Um, so I agree with you, it's a skill. Now to come back to your question about the self-review, uh, it is quite introspective somehow. And for the achiever in you, perhaps, uh, perhaps what's difficult is to almost go back back to principle and say, well, okay, did I approach it the right way? And it may feel such a setback somehow to be back <laughs> in front of a, of a white sheet of paper that I can see it could be quite demotivating. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've, you've I suppose, in, in terms of that self-review, you've got to know yourself mm. and, in effect, know the things that are your strengths are your weaknesses and and consciously say well i know that i have a problem with xyz does that come out in this particular report does that come out in this presentation and yeah. i know once or twice with clients i've been putting presentation together thinking well yeah factually what i've got on the piece of paper is right but then i've almost taken myself mentally to standing in the in the boardroom and giving the presentation and looking at certain individuals around the table in the eye in my imagination thinking oh what's jane going to think about that how's she going to react uh, i know a certain amount about her i know what questions are going to maybe i should change that maybe that will send a question that i don't really want at that point yeah and that that's a technique i've used in in reviewing certain presentational material i suppose the same goes for a report Mm. put yourself into you've got to know the individuals but you've got to put yourself in the shoes of those particular individuals and think about how would how would they react to what you're either saying or writing yes exactly and again i think it's quite um expected that you would go by it um by iteration so you would come with something that may look like the facts the truth um, you need beauty. And then by looking at emphasizing with the people who are going to receive the report, uh, preventing yourself from being in trouble because some things need to be perhaps portrayed in a slightly different way, you're just um, adding or removing some color. Um, and I find that it's quite a, a clever way of, of doing things. I don't think that there's any problem with it. It's also part of the review. Yeah, and I guess being able to review, you've got to give yourself time and space to do that, which comes back again to workload and mm. not taking on too much. 
So I guess part of that is what do you decide to do yourself and what do you decide to give to others? And I love your take on that because personally, I am the world's worst delegator. I will tend to do everything myself. Um, I don't know if you've got any, any thoughts on what you should delegate and what you should do yourself. Uh yeah, I would I would have I would take two considerations, the short term one and the long term one. Uh, in the short term, um, the first question is what do I, I have is, is what do I not need to get involved in? Um, somehow it helps to be busy uh, because then you feel pushed into delegating more than less. Uh, but also where do I not need? to to get involved because people do not need me i don't add value um so it's a question of both bandwidth and and not needing to get involved that that's the key starting point for me and then you need to obviously find someone who is ready to undertake the task it's it's the question of having someone else um available ready willing and also in the longer term, who could benefit from, from the learning. Mm. That's, that is a key one, isn't it? That you know, your team is only going to develop if you give them the opportunity to, to stretch themselves a little bit, to do something new. So just because it's something that a particular team member's never done before, doesn't mean you shouldn't take the time and show them how to do it so that they can take things off you in the longer term it's one of the key challenges for many for many people many mentees i've ever had um, it's it's really finding the balance or playing it in the short term knowing that they can do something perfectly almost with closed eyes and being very effective and quick on the other side they would invest they would have to invest much more time which they don't have now in order to train someone who in the longer term um, we'll be able to help them considerably by, by taking away uh, that workload. Um, it needs to be really conscious. It, 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 it takes time um, because that manager or you know, that person who, has try, who is trying to do, to do too much already doesn't necessarily have the time to, um, to sit with uh, anyone in particular and delegate uh, big chunks of, of their workload. But it needs to happen. Yeah. And when they do that uh, and they look back, they just realize how uh, positive it was for them um, and for, for the team member. Once you've delegated something, Helen, who takes responsibility for it? So I don't think that we can talk about responsibility before um defining what accountability is so okay yes if i if i go by the the racy the very classic racy model yeah responsibility accountability uh so who is uh responsible who is accountable who is consulted and who is informed uh which is a very very key role in uh in projects for instance yes um so i think that the question may be about who takes accountability the accountability is that highest uh, level by which you you build well you are 
the person who is going to respond to management about any problem relating to that particular task. Um, and there's only one accountable person. You can't be two or three. You can't be a team accountable for, yep. uh, for a particular uh, task or deliverable. Um, the person responsible can be the person um, that has been given delegation or authority by the person who is accountable. So this is clearly, if I, if I look back at the, at the model of uh, senior manager regime, which is a, the way that CFOs uh, would have a number of tasks that they are accountable for uh, in the eyes of the, the regulator, the FCA for financial services. You can be, you can delegate uh, the responsibility, the doing, if you want, of the task. You will always retain the accountability. There's no hiding by saying, whoops, um, someone else did it. Um, so who takes accountability for the final task? Well, obviously, you're a CFO. You're responsible for the, finan the finance function. You take full accountability for anything that goes on uh, in your function. That's the end yeah. of it. And that's, that is really is a key distinction. The responsibility for doing something should always pass to the person you're delegating it to. Because yeah. I think there's a certain degree that if you want that person to really get on and do whatever it is, you've got to empower them. And you empower them by giving them responsibility. But remembering that at the end of the day, you delegated it, you are still accountable. Absolutely. And I guess that determines how you then manage the task being done by the person you delegated it to. Um, I suppose you've got to take account of, well, what's the chance of it going wrong? How closely do I need to look at the output? What level of review do I need to do this? But uh, the worst thing you can do is give that more review than it actually needs to oversee it more than it actually needs. So you're going to undermine the person you delegated to. Yes, that's true as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got to ask you one question. Do you tend to do things one at a time or are you multitasking? Well, it, de it depends. Uh, you know how it goes. So take your day yesterday, Kevin. Yeah. I guess that um, if only at the very minimum you were, your, your brain was busy um, operating in, in the urgent mode for a number of deliverables, yet you were also continuing, continuously thinking about uh, what you were uh, supposed to be delivering or doing. And yes. so that in itself is a, is a bit of a multitasking. Um, I realize I multitask all the time on, on I would say, non-very uh, non demanding tasks. So um, I would you know, take notes, uh, send emails when listening to webinars, I would manage my calendar, and I would think about what I have to cook for dinner, whatever, all of this at the same time. Now, um, I also realized the, the need to uh, stop multitasking when something is uh, of higher stake, or, or, you know, it's a new task, and you really need to, to be in thinking rather than in doing mode. Um, and 
again, that's that's the, the problem that you are not able to do that during your day and you have to put it at the end of, of the day or during the weekend because that's when you can focus. Yeah. Day before yesterday, I was out and about and I ended up listening to a podcast by a professor from, I think it's Stanford University, and he was talking about goal setting and getting things done. And he decided to debunk on the podcast the idea that we shouldn't multitask and she made an interesting observation that said yes you should multitask and the multitasking actually in the way you've just described it you know running around a bit thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner doing lots of insignificant things and his argument was that you should be doing that just before sitting down to do the serious deep piece of work Mm-hmm. And his, as a as a scientist, as a professor, his um, theory was that that actually the multitasking gets the adrenaline flowing, gets you into a position of doing stuff, so that you kind of hit the ground running when you sit down to focus on that big thing that you want to get done. So I thought that was really interesting, and, and it kind of just backs up what what you said that multitasking all this this stuff but then you really do have to focus on the the big piece the thinking piece yeah and and uh i don't know whether you you read a, a bit of research about uh social networks and how difficult it is becoming for for everyone to be away from the constant um looking at your phone and looking at your emails and receiving notifications on your phone, et cetera. And so the multitasking, even if it's not doing, but but even being just absorbing information uh, is a bit of a danger zone um, when you look at the the key deliverables that everyone has. So we're talking about uh, efficiency here. Uh, It's a conscious effort to try and switch the phone off, uh, decide not to look at the email and be able to uh, bring yourself to uh, have a lot of space um, to focus. And actually after yesterday, when I was dragged completely off my own agenda, one of the things I consciously did this morning when I had to get two or three fairly important things done, I actually turned off Slack, I turned off WhatsApp and I turned off email. Yeah, yeah. So whatever it was, oh, and that annoying thing on a Mac, that uh, little message that keeps popping up at you in the top right-hand corner of the screen, notifications. Turn them all off so I couldn't see anything other than what I was actually getting on with trying to do. I think sometimes you've just got to do that. Mm. Yes. Um, And and one thing that I would also advise people to do is to stop looking at emails so regularly um and if anything so you're mentioning about slack it could be whatsapp uh if anything is super urgent uh and can't wait for a couple of hours my advice to my team was okay whatsapp me and that's going to be the only thing that i'm going to look at uh on a regular basis otherwise you'll you'll wait maybe for two or three hours before i even read your email let alone come back to you and I'll actually say that, look, if it really is urgent, well, I've got a phone. Ring me up. Yes. Give me a phone call. Because that way, and even if you leave WhatsApp on, you're still going to see notifications of all the other people that are sending you stuff that's probably just noise. 
if it's, it's a phone call, it's one thing you see. It's mm-hmm. in the name of the person, and I can say, oh, Dan Wells. That's important. I'll answer it. Mm-hmm. I'll take your advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the way I do it, to be honest. And, but one final question. And we talked about all of this workload management, completing, reviewing tasks, delegating things. But there's, there's always that occasion when it suddenly becomes obvious that you've got a deadline and you're going to miss it. Yes. What's the first thing you do when you realize that? Inform the stakeholder. That's the number one. Um, You were mentioning about management of expectations. It's exactly that. You've committed to delivering a piece of work. Um, And if you do not manage the expectations of your stakeholders, what's at risk uh, is the trust. The trust they placed in your ability to deliver on your on your commitments. This is invaluable. You cannot um, you cannot lose that trust. It's too damaging. So um, inform them as early as possible. Mm, uh, as early as possible. Exactly. Yes. Discuss the the changes that uh, the adjustments that are needed. Um, and we were talking, you know, about the the, the four dimensions of. Uh, scope, time, quality, and resources. So if the task is as urgent as before, uh, ask for the permission or the possibility to drop the scope, to, drop, to, to, to reduce the scope or to, to do something uh, perhaps not as, um, as final uh, yeah. with a lesser quality or, or, or bring someone else to help you. But this needs, this needs to be flagged ASAP. Yeah, and the conversation you don't want to have is, oh, sorry, that report you wanted this morning, I can't do, I'll give it to you tomorrow. Far better have the conversation two days before that that says, sorry, I'm not going to have that report finished. It's going to be a day late. And then there's, oh, there might be a response that says, well, what can you get to me by the deadline? And you say, well, what's the most important things you need for that deadline? And you'll often find that there's a... a subset of the requirement that was urgent, but not the whole yes. thing. And that there's quite often a compromise, which is why I really would counsel people to say, if you're struggling, flag it up early no, and then operate a no surprises culture. You don't want to give somebody the surprise of walking into their office when they're expecting you to be holding the report and you saying, well, sorry, it's going to be tomorrow. That's a surprise. It's a nasty surprise. Warn them way in advance. Yes. Yeah. 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 Helen, that has been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you for joining me on the Gross CFO Show today. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Mm-hmm.